Well, good morning. It's so good to see y'all. We're in the third week of our 10-week series that we're calling the Decalogue. Decalogue simply means, it's a, a word that simply means in the, the original language, the 10 words. That's what it means. The Decalogue or the 10 words are the 10 commandments. And we're going to say a few things each week. And one of those is that we need to understand that the 10 commandments are not some sort of you know, door we have to walk through so that we can connect with God. Like, that's not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Like, God gives us the law as His children. Like, we don't have to clean up our act and get our stuff together before God will accept us. No, instead, God takes us as we are and He writes this law upon our heart. Like, that's how He works. Okay, so it's the living room. It's not the front door. It's a confirmation of a relationship with God, not a condition. God, in fact, as He gives the law, reminds Israel that He is the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They were already set free, so now they can live as a free people because ultimate freedom is found under God's law. Like, I hope, believers, that you understand that and you get that and that you could even say amen to that. Like, I know for me that every time Bobby chooses the path that I should go and I go off path from what God has for me, it does not end well. It is not God's best. Ultimate freedom, ultimate satisfaction, life is found under the authority of God. Now remember also what is true of all the commands of God. The ten words are for our protection. They're for our provision. And they all point to a promise. And that promise is a person. And His name is Jesus. It's the promise of someone who was coming who could meet all of the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. In fact, Romans 10 explains it this way. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The ESV puts it this way, that Christ is the end of the law. That word end or culmination is the Greek word telos, which combines the idea of an end and a goal like it's the finish line in a race. Hear this church, Christ was what the law was always running toward. Christ is what the law of God was always running toward. And now that we have reached the finish line, the race is over. Jesus is the end of the race. And trusting in Him ends all of our futile futile attempts to somehow win God's favor and approval by our imperfect keeping of the law. Now, that doesn't mean that we can now live any way we want to, be a law unto ourselves, be our own authority. It doesn't work that way. Remember, God's law was never the problem. You were. God's standards are not the problem. I am. In fact, Isaiah 42 says this, it pleased the Lord for the sake of His righteousness to make His law great and glorious. Like, I love that. 
Like when God thinks about His law, He communicates through His prophet, it is great and glorious. The goal of the law is to stop running. Stop striving. Stop working. And find your rest in Him alone. Jesus said, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ultimate freedom is still today found only under His authority. We, church, have been set free so that we can live free under the authority of Christ. So please this morning, as we look at the third word, the third command, I'd ask that you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Remember, we've already studied the first two commandments. The first, first word calls for our unrivaled allegiance. God says, you shall have no other gods before Me. The second word calls for our undiluted worship. You shall not worship any idols. And so those, for those of you like me who think those sounds like almost like a repetition of each other, this is how we distinguish them. The first word is against worshiping the wrong God. There is only one God. All the other gods are idols. They're demons. They're false. But the second word from God is against worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. And so as the law is given to the nation of Israel, y'all saw last week, everybody said, ooh yeah, Lord, this is good. Great idea, Lord. Now check out this golden calf. Right? Or Nadab and Abihu saying, man, Lord, we are, we are on board with you. We just got ordained. We are, we are, we're gelling with you. We agree with you 100%. Hey, what do you think about this unauthorized fire? And then of course, the rest of Israel and us say, Amen, Lord. Now here are some of my thoughts. Some of my ideas about how I can worship you in my own way. But the second command makes it clear that God and God alone determines how we are going to approach Him. In fact, He even has a way for us to approach His very name. He says in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The NIV says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold Him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Here's what God is saying. You shall not misuse My name. In fact, guys, if you do, you will answer to Me. And there will be consequences. The third word calls for our unparalleled reverence. In fact, as I was studying this passage this week, immediately when I read this command, my thought went to Isaiah chapter 6, a passage we studied just a few weeks ago, and Isaiah's response to being brought into the presence of God. Remember the scene? He's in the temple. He sees the Lord high and exalted. You know, these great angelic fiery beasts around him saying day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And when Isaiah sees this, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm unraveling because my eyes have seen the Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And guys, when I hear this command that God says, I don't want you just to honor me, I want you to honor my very name. Hold it as sacred. Like approach it with reverence. For me, the problem comes down to that word reverence. Unparalleled reverence. Because I I believe, at least culturally, that we have lost any true sense of reverence or awe. I believe that we, like Isaiah, dwell in the midst of a people where the only thing that most of them hold sacred is their own reputation and their own opinion. Like There is no fear of God before their eyes. Like guys, even in the church, we would love to say it's those guys out there, but even in the church, we have become so familiar with the things of God, with the sacred, that it has dulled our sense of amazement, of astonishment, of holy fear, of trembling before the presence of a God that we have no business approaching. Hebrews 12 puts it this way, for believers, for Christians, since we, have re- since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's like the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, just because, Christians, you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, watch yourself. Don't get comfortable. Don't think think yourself so at home in the presence of God that you can not shake in His presence. For our God is a consuming fire. But like I said, we've lost our sense of reverence. We do not even tremble at the thought of approaching the all-consuming fire. And so to help us and to help the nation of Israel keep God and His his character and His otherness in proper perspective, God gave them a very, very practical command. And here's the command, you shall not misuse My name. Israel, church, guard My name. Guard My name as if your very life depended on it. Keep it holy. Keep it sacred. Make sure it stays special and unique. The third word calls for our unparalleled reverence. And so I just wonder, as we start this, for you, when you hear the third command, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, like where do your thoughts go? Like what what are your practical application of this command? Like what are your personal standards related to God's name? Now I'm not just talking about cussing because that's immediately where our mind goes we start thinking about cussing and we start thinking about profanity and we know at least it means no more gds no more you know omgs no more saying the name jesus as an expletive and certainly this command includes that but it means so much more but i actually think that the idea of profanity is a good place for us to start Like the word profanity comes from a root word, profane, which literally means to desecrate. 
Like you desecrate something when you treat something that is holy as if it is common. Like to desecrate is to treat with contempt or irreverence things that are sacred and holy like the very name of God. Now this is a command given once again in the context of this covenant with the nation of Israel. Like God had made a promise to them. God had brought them into a relationship. God had already rescued them. And so as He speaks to them at the mountain, this is not a random gathering of strangers. These these are the people of God. The ones that God has rescued. And this command should call them to sobriety because for them and for us, the name of God is a reminder of a promise. And here's the promise. Like at the darkest moment in history, like in the end of chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, when you have all the nations going their own way, when you have them when they want to get together, they want to get together and like come to God on their own terms, and so God scatters them over the earth after the flood, after the fall, after so many deaths and so much lostness, When you think there's no way out and no rescue in chapter 12 of Genesis, God calls a pagan named Abram into a relationship with him and He makes him a promise. He says, Abram, I'm going to make you a great name. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land and you're going to be a great blessing. In fact, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so he leaves his home and he goes to what we know as the Holy Land, to the land of Israel. And there in chapter 15, God renews that same promise to him and then enters into a covenant. He cuts covenant with him. And it says in Genesis 15, on that day Yahweh made a covenant with Abram. See, Yahweh is God's covenant name. It's His special name given only to those who are in a relationship with Him. It's used 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's the name that should always be spoken and heard with reverence because it represents God's entire reputation. When Israel hears the name Yahweh, They don't confuse it with any other Elohim, any other God of the nations, any other idol. They know that this is the one true and living God. And the name of God is a reminder of a promise and the name of God for them is a reminder of a rescue. And years later, after 430 years of enslavement in Egypt, God calls a man named Moses and reveals Himself to him in a burning bush. A bush that burns and yet is not consumed. In Exodus 3, Moses says, okay, if I go to Egypt, if I speak to the people, if I say that God has sent me to them, and they say, well, what is His name? What do I say? And God speaks to Moses and says, I am that I am. I am who I am. If they ask you who has sent you, tell them I am has sent you. Like we are told in the Scripture that God names Himself 
Like I was named by my parents. You were named by your parents. You named your kid. But God alone names Himself. And His covenant name is Yahweh from the Hebrew root word meaning to be. It's a shortened form of the phrase, I am that I am. Like the name of God is centered on His existence. Is a If you were to translate the word Yahweh, it would be something like the God who is. Like literally, Yahweh is the God who is contrasted with the gods of the nations that are not. Like it signifies His sovereignty, His self-existence. It's like God is saying in the name He gives to Moses to share with the people, I am the self-existent One. It's not simply that I exist. I am existence itself. Everything else exists because of me. Like God is pure existence. He is pure I amness. In fact, He illustrates it, who He is and what He is like by speaking from a bush that is on fire and yet is never consumed. Like I'm certainly, I'm sure Moses in the desert had seen dried out weeds that were lit because of the heat of the sun reflected off a stone. And yet as he approaches this and is told to take his shoes off from his feet because he's standing on holy ground, he knows that this is different. The bush burns and yet is not consumed. It's self-existent. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. And it is in this name that He reveals Himself and chooses to rescue His people from slavery in Egypt. The name of God is a reminder of that rescue. And the name of God is a reminder of a relationship. Once again, this is God's covenant name. The name Yahweh was a description of the One who cut covenant with the people. It was a sacred word that that, reminded them that they were a chosen nation. It it reminded them that they had a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, that's Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Yahweh is the most intimate, personal, and sacred name of God in the Old Testament. And in giving this name to a people, God gives Himself to these people. Because it's not just a name. This is God's identity. It's a summary of His character. Like when we approach God on these terms, like we are referring to the very essence of His divine being. His name is His self-revelation. Anything you know about God that is true of Him, it's because God has chosen to reveal it. And here He reveals His very name because He wants us to know something about Him. I am the Lord your God, the Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the context 
for their, this very clear and practical command, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So the question is, what exactly does the third commandment forbid? Like, what does it even look like to profane the name of God beyond a cuss word here and there? Remember I said a couple weeks ago uh, during the kickoff of this series that it is, in a sense, a parenting series because in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6, when God, through His prophet Moses, recommunicates the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. The second giving of the law. So as they go into the land, it's ringing in their ears. At the end of the repeat of the Ten Commandments, God says this, hey, teach this stuff to your kids. Because they're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey dad, why do we live this way? Hey mom, why do we celebrate these festivals? Why do we act like we act and live like we live and dress like we dress? What is the meaning of all this? And that's an opportunity for you to teach them as they lie down and as they get up and as they walk along the way. Like teach this to your children. We should live our lives in such a way that it invites conversation from our kids. Why are we different from other people? And that's an opportunity not for you to exalt yourself, but to exalt the One who rescued you. I mean, this is a parenting series. So with that in mind, how will you pass on a sense of reverence, of sacredness, of holiness for God's name to the next generation? Well, here's a few things you can do. Don't be careless with His name. Don't be flippant with the name of God. Oh my Bobby. Doesn't that sound stupid? Like it kind of bothers me just hearing it coming out of my mouth. Oh my Bobby. It doesn't sound right, but if you replace the word Bobby with the name of God, somehow it sounds right, which indicates there's something broken in us that we wouldn't take someone's name in a frivolous manner, but we would do it with the name of God. Like, do not be careless with this name. Jen Wilkin writes that the second word, the second commandment, guards against small thoughts about God's character. The third will take us deeper still into right worship. If the second word forbids low and careless thoughts about God, the third forbids low or careless words about God. Don't be careless with His name. Think before you speak. Take a beat. Be careful. Recently, I I took a class at Reformed Theological Seminary and um, in that class, I heard about what scholars call, and this was the first time I've heard this, what scholars call the nomina sacra. Literally in the Latin, the sacred names. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I took Greek, New Testament Greek, and I have a couple Greek New Testaments where if you open them up, they're very clean. The words are all kind of separated. Uh, it's not like the original Greek manuscripts. I mean, they didn't have like 
tons of parchment, tons of paper, papyrus, whatever they could use. They packed everything in as tightly as they could get. The words are almost on top of each other. And so there was a practice from the earliest manuscripts, I mean, from the earliest fragments we have of the New Testament Greek, there was this practice that they call the nomina sacra, which was simply to abbreviate divine names and titles in the New Testament. Uh, names like, and here are the ones that made the list, God, Lord, Father, Jesus, Spirit, and Christ. When those words appear in the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, they are abbreviated like two or three letters of the word only are shared and then there's a line drawn over the top of it. Why? So that that whole word, that title or that name would be set apart. It was special. You don't even write the name of God, the name of Jesus, the name Spirit in the way you would write any other common word. Because as Isaiah 26.8 says, your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Is that true for you? If that's true for you, think before you speak His name. Take a beat. Be careful. Jen Wilkin goes on to say this as she writes about the sin of informality in regard to God's name. She says, don't miss this. A formal title of address is such because it is, in some sense, formative. The use of a title forms you as you use it. By addressing others with a formal title, our conception of who they are is being formed. And then she says, if formal language is formative, each time we utter a formal title for Father, the Son, or the Spirit, we practice a small liturgy which is good for our souls. And guys, we get that, right? Because we see just in ordinary relationships how our relationships are formed by the language we use to refer to each other. Gentlemen, are there names that you call your wife that you don't use for any other woman in the world? Ladies, are there names that you call your husband that you wouldn't think in a million years to use for any other man in the world? They are set apart for him alone. My question is, what are you reserving for God alone? Are there words? Are there titles? Are there postures? Are there practices that you would never think of giving to another that you give only to Him? Like in Exodus 30, I read this week that as they got the incense, the perfume ready for the temple, that there was a certain incense that they brought to the ark of God, representing God's presence on this earth. And it was reserved for that alone. In fact, God says, my translation here, hey, you may like the smell of this stuff, but if you make it for yourself, for any other purpose than for the ark of the covenant, you will be cut off from all of Israel. 
There are some things, some smells, some sacrifices that are for God and God alone. Like for me, as I make our outlines for our sermons, as I do our PowerPoints that aren't all caps, I always make sure that I capitalize the pronouns related to the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't do that for anyone else. I wouldn't do that for a president. I wouldn't do that for a king unless that king was Jesus. You see, it's not enough to simply refrain from profanity. Our prayer is to hallow His name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. So don't be careless with God's name. And also, don't be controlling with God's name. You see, a literal translation of the command would be, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness, for worthlessness, for emptiness. Like we are forbidden from taking the name of God, lifting it up, or bearing that name in a way that is wicked, that is worthless, or for the wrong purposes. Like to misuse the name of the Lord is to misrepresent God and His character and say about Him a falsehood. And so just as an example, don't associate God's name with purposes that are not God's. Don't trade on God's reputation to gain support for your personal agenda. I mean, don't politicians do this all the time? On both sides. It's disgusting. Like they play the God card and so we should vote for them because they in some way represent God. And they just throw His name out there flippantly. They end their message with messages often with no meaning involved with God bless the United States of America. Now historically, God's name has been used to justify slavery and prejudice and segregation. And most recently, it's been used, I've seen just in the last couple weeks, like people using the name of God to justify abortion and giving puberty blockers to adolescent children. Let me just tell you, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will not hold you guiltless if you take His name in vain. Like, how would you feel if somebody used or misused your name? Like, I've had people quote me before and it wasn't something I've said. You know, well, Pastor Bobby would want this. No, I wouldn't. Just ask me. I'm right here. Right? But I've had people do that and it just drives me crazy. God says, do not do that. And so please, be careful with your talk like God told me to do this. Or even worse, God told me to tell you to do this. (laughs) I'm just saying, God certainly does speak by His Spirit through His Word, but we test every spirit. And guys, we don't want to be like Job's three friends, do we? The guys who came to Him with all that God talk, all that God advice, only to have to be in a class where Job was the teacher for the rest of their lives. Like God says, okay, Job, you instruct them in the right way now. Do you want to be like the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts who said, we command in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, 
demon, come out. To which the demons respond, hey, we know Paul, and certainly we know Jesus, but who the hell are you? But see, that's what happens when we take His name on our lips without any sense of reverence. Without any sense of beauty. Power. Submission. Honor. Without a sense of trembling before His presence that we even get to say the name of Jesus. The fact that you can say that name. The fact that you can call upon Yahweh like should astound you. And so if we use God's name to ascribe some false sense of authority to our ideas, our plans, our opinions, we break the third commandment. Think of my brother Michael telling me years ago that he was going to divorce his wife because he prayed about it. And he believed that God wanted him to be happy. And he said, so what do you think? And I said, I don't think God cares less, could care less about you being happy. I think He wants you to keep your promise that you made to your wife. I mean, I was 21. I was a bit of a punk, right? <laughs> but my brother Michael told me years later that he was so mad at me for telling him that that he went home and decided not to get divorced just to prove to his little brother that he didn't have to. And he ended up having a baby. And then they ended up, all of them got saved. Sometimes being a jerk pays off. Write that down. Application. <laughs> but guys, when we attach lies or half-truths to the name of God, we break this command. I mean, sadly, guys, the church, understand, there are no Trump prophecies. Y'all know that, right? There are no Trump prophecies. You don't read that name in the Bible. And so these people who had all these Trump prophecies of His second coming got Him confused with the One who is coming and will judge the living and the dead. So be careful. Don't be controlling with the sacred name of God and don't be insincere with His name. We shouldn't say what we don't believe. As one author put it, speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We shouldn't say what we don't believe. We shouldn't sing what we don't mean. In Malachi chapter 1, God rebukes the nation of Israel and He says to them, I wish... I could just get somebody to lock the doors of the temple. Enough already. I don't want your worthless offerings. I don't want your false worship. There's coming a day where my name will be great among the nations and incense and pure offering will be offered everywhere from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. So stop it. We also shouldn't promise what we don't keep. A violation of the third command is when we don't let our yes be yes and our no be no. We have to attach God's name to it so you know we're legit. And finally, we shouldn't profess what we don't live. Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. 
You see, I, if I identify, identify myself with God as a Christian, that means I should live as if that name really matters. That it's the defining term of my life. And if I don't do that, I'm taking His name in vain. And guys, we live in a world where lots of people identify as something that they are not. Do we do that? You see, if we call ourselves Christian and are not under the authority of Christ and living that way, we're just as guilty as them. A final way to keep the third commandment is this. It's my favorite one. Don't avoid using God's name. God's people were never forbidden to use His name. What's forbidden is the misuse of His name, not the use of it. God gives the nation of Israel a gift. The greatest gift they could ever imagine. He tells them from the mountain, this is My name forever. Call Me by My name. I'm Yahweh. It's as if I were to tell my kids, call Me Dad. And they were to say, that seems, I don't know, that seems a little too flippant. I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you Father. Can I call you Robert? I like that too. Robert Wade, that's what we'll call you. No, I'm Dad. I get to call the rules about what you're going to call me. Call me Dad. God in the same way reveals Himself, names Himself, and tells Israel, you among all the nations get to call me Yahweh. And yet, Israel had a sad history with the name of God. That last part of the command kind of messed with him. He will not hold him guiltless. Oh, you know what? One way I can be sure never to take the name of the Lord our God in vain is to never take the name of the Lord our God. And so they put a fence of protection around the name of God. And they didn't say it. And for years, as they read the Scripture, even to this day, as they read the Scripture, they will substitute for Yahweh, Adonai, Lord. Because they are afraid, maybe in my heart, I would take His name in vain. Like their translations of their Bible don't even use the term Yahweh. They substitute Adonai. And yet God gave them a gift. And they said, uh, does it come with a receipt? Because I think I'm going to take it back. Guys, how sad is that? God wants us to call Him by name. It's His covenant name. And it strengthens our relationship. We should not be in terror of it. The name of Yahweh, says Proverbs 18, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. They don't flee from it. In fact, Pastor Michael, when he's preaching, he'll do a traditional benediction taken from number 6. Listen to what number 6 says. God instructs Moses. He says, speak to Aaron and his sons, the priests, saying, thus you, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord, that's Yahweh, bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And then God explains, so shall they put My name 
upon the people and I will bless them. Guys, once again, if you know anything about the one true and living God, this should astound you. Like to bless someone is to put God's name on them and in doing so, cry out to the Maker of all things to let His presence be known and experienced by them. Like God places His name on His children. Like I read that and I just think, man, could anything be better than that? Well, actually, yes. In fact, we saw it last hour in the baptism. Did you know that your baptism was a naming ceremony? That's how the early church always saw it. Believers were baptized literally into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like we were literally baptized into the nomina sacra. Like in baptism, we are marked out for all the world to see as belonging to the one true and living God. In baptism, the triune God has placed His name on you to bring about eternal blessing. Now that's a, that's a name I can get behind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that the promise of this table makes it possible that we could talk to Your Father and call Him Abba. Like You told us to call the God of the universe the consuming fire Father. And that's made possible because of this table. Because of what it represents in your death and your burial and your resurrection. And Lord Jesus, at that Last Supper, You told the disciples that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we will proclaim Your return until You come. And so Father, this is not my sermon. This is our sermon as a church family, we want to say, we believe, Lord Jesus. Everything You said, everything that You've done, everything that You promised, that there is a day coming when on earth as it is in heaven, Your name will be great. We're like that incense and pure offering offered from the rising of the setting of the sun. Your name will be great. We thank You that You saved us for the sake of Your great name. And we want to pray in that great name now. In Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.